We are live, so uh, great to see everybody. If you're joining us online tonight, we're honored to have you with us. And Richard, as always, is online with us, so there to be a blessing. So any questions you have, reach out to him, and uh, he'll be happy to, to help you in any way he can. You'll see a prayer tab down in the bottom right-hand corner. We encourage you to click on that. We'd love to be praying for you. As always, we assure you that that is secure, private. It only goes to one individual, so it is not broadcast or shared on any other platform. So let us know how we can be a blessing. If uh, you just have questions about the church or tonight's message, you can reach out at info at cfchurchtx.com, and we'll get back with you. So as we have been, we've been journeying here through Hebrews. And uh, a great lesson last week that Brother Brad shared with us. So we're going to move on here, still in chapter 2. So let's pray, and uh, we'll get into this tonight, and I think we'll find it very beneficial. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather tonight. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you just help us set aside today uh, our struggles and our battles. and help us just focus on your word, that uh, we made the effort to be here, which is huge. And now that we just let you have your will and your way, through your spirit, as that you anoint every word that's spoken. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter, we're going to just jump to one verse, because this verse is going to lead us on to another verse, uh, is what I really want to focus on. Now, this is prevalent throughout every church across America. Uh, it's even prevalent here. It's not a, I'm not saying what you're going to hear tonight is a major spiritual problem we have, because we have a beautiful spirit, but it's a it's not a spirit within us. It can just creep up within the side of our faith walk that can distract us. And it allows us to kind of get a little misfocused. And we're going to see tonight, we don't want to get misfocused on this subject matter. We want to stay focused to what we're going to point out or what the Word of God points out. So look what it says here in chapter 12 of verse 2. It says, saying, I will declare thy name unto the brethren. So who's the, who's the author of Hebrews talking to? Talking to Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. I will declare thy name, God, the Holy Spirit, Triune Godhead, thy name unto the brethren. That means the unity, the kindred spirit we're called to have. In the midst of the what? Ah, the midst of the church. And I will sing your praises there or to thee. So what we're talking about, what we see here is we who have been called to be set apart. Our sanctification. You know, it starts off with our justification, just as if you never sinned, by receiving Christ as our Savior and ushers us into our sanctification. So in this process of our sanctification, the Lord calls us out. He tells us that we're going to be this peculiar people now, this, this, this priesthood that we became a part of, co-heirs with Christ. And so by way of that, for the Lord to be able to justify us, to set us apart, He has to do this He's already done a redeeming work. Now he needs to do a justifying work through us, a completion, a fullness of our faith that we need to walk in and walk through. So this sanctified by Jesus. So he's made us brothers and sisters in Christ through our salvation. Has he not? Brethren. We're all brethren in Christ. So here the writer quotes, really this quote comes from Psalms 22 or part of Psalms 22, which is a messianic psalm. So you can see this cross-reference in Psalm 22, because God has adopted us, has He not? Through the cross, us accepted Christ, He has adopted us into His family. His family. 
And it was His redeeming work. He purchased us. We didn't fill out an application, did we? They may say, you know, you know, before we get into the gospel here, I need for you to, to fill out this application. Name, social security, background, no. No, He adopted us into Him. And that'll make sense here in a second. Meaning He's called us to something bigger than ourselves, true? Yeah, so now we are part of Him. And Him, is He not the cornerstone, the foundation of which the church is built upon? And is He not also by God given authority as the head of the church? So everything about us now is underneath the, the umbrella, the protection of the redeeming, and now called into a sanctifying spirit of the Lord to a single purpose and a single vision. God tells us, my people perish because of lack of what? Eh, lack of vision. And so through the church, God, in the New Testament church particularly, God establishes a clear-cut unequivocal, without doubt, vision for the church. And he lived it out for his three years, well, 33, but his three years of ministry, he lived specifically to that vision. He never wavered from it, nor did he allow the disciples to waver from this vision, and thus we are called into that same vision, that same purpose that we need to grasp as well. So in verse 12, the author said, in the midst of the church i will sing praise unto thee okay so if there's an emphasis on this church what there is to the point it points it through the church what the author is referring to would it be pretty important that we grasp the church and why the church well here's something just uh something that the holy spirit gave me this afternoon matter of fact i was driving up here or not driving up here driving home it says because too many believers Catch this, too many believers, there it is on the screen, are looking for churches to comfort them and to console them rather than challenge them and change them into Christ-likeness. That's where we are today. We approach the church. Now, I want you to hold on, not per se, the quote, but let this quote focus you on this, of why Christians today, not saying every Christian, every believer, too many or approaching the church under the wrong guise. And yet the author of Hebrews is laying the foundation that through the church, I will sing praises to the brethren. So this word church is the Greek word ekklesia. And here found in verse 12, it does not denote an assembly of a called out believer. Believe it or not, it doesn't. It denotes, in this case, it refers back to Psalms 22, 22, to the Jewish congregation at the time. I will declare thy name unto my brethren, still talking to believers, in the midst of the what? Congregation, ecclesia, And I will praise thee. So this is where this is drawn to. Now, with this in mind, let's jump to Matthew 16 in verse 1. And we need to define this church, and we need to realize how important the church is to Jesus. Because everything Christ did on earth was to establish the church. And the reason he established the church, because not after he established it, he ordained it that the gospel light would live, thrive, and be administered through the church. But we need to define what the church is 
And to give you a little clue to the end, it's not what we see around us. That's not the church. So we need to see the way God looks at the church and what he calls the church too. So it's a Greek word, ekklesia, and it means, first of all, it's, it's klesis, it means a calling, and out is an ekka, or ekka. So ekklesia is described in five different ways. You can see this in Brother Brad's reference work in more detail. In five different assemblies. In Acts 7.38, it's an assembly of Israel in the wilderness as a nation. Two, an assembly of the riotous mob in Acts 19. Of Greek citizenship gathered together to discuss the affairs of the state in Acts 19. The assembly of the Jewish congregation in Hebrews 2.12, as we just read, and or the Jewish synagogue. And five, the assembly of called out believers, the church, whether local or universal. So we see the same word and we see the same application in five different assemblies, a gathering together of God's people. But according to Matthew 16 that we're going to look at, the church, the assembly of the called out believers is God's chosen, again, vehicle. It's the process, it's the purpose of why Christ established the New Testament church. It's everything God wanted, to, wanted it to be and what God wants the church to be and to do. It's God's chosen vehicle for the truth of the gospel to the lost word. Thus, it's essential that the Christians understand the kind, the kind of church that Jesus has in mind. And we need to make sure we embody that. Not only here is covenant, but it's beyond covenant because it's a brethren. It's the brotherhood. It's the sisterhood. It's a calling out of God's assembled people to a unified, unified vision and purpose through the church. So Christ promised, if you look at Hebrews 12, 23, Christ promised was a singular church, a singular universal church made up of born-again believers. Hebrews 12, 23. To the general assembly. Do you see Baptist in there? You see Church of Christ, Catholic, you know, Methodist, you can go through the whole list. No, it's a general assembly in church of what? Firstborn, which is written in heaven to the God, the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect. So God's mindset of the church, we got to see from God looking down from heaven, God only says, I don't care what church you go to. If you go to Covenant Fellowship, if you go to Prestonwood, if you go to First Baptist, it doesn't, it doesn't matter where you go to church. I promise you, God's looking at His church, not the churches. Now, what we've done is, man, we've dissected the church into all these sub-churches. Why? Because a secondary doctrinal issue a pastor will stand on, and you'll get a, a percentage of the congregation of the flock that reads that interpretation different, and on a secondary issue... Over time, over the thousands of years, over time, it says, nope, over the second, I'm saying it's unimportant, it can be a doctrinal point, but it's not a heaven and hell point, and now we end up with Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, the list goes on. Why? Because we lost focus of God's church, and we started saying, well, no, that's not how I want my church to think. That's not how I want my church to be. And now we got endless denominations and religions. And you got 
you know, you got factions of the, of the Baptists. You got, you know, General Baptists, you got Southern Baptists, uh, you, you, you got, you know, different sects of different religions. It just goes on and on and on and on again. That we, man, have taken God's vision, God's purpose, and we subdivided it into our preference of how we want our church to be. And we've lost the vision of God's church and what God's called His church to be. So in order to fully understand the kind of church Jesus had in mind, so that envy, pride, selfishness don't make their way in. God's saying, look, Christ made it very clear. I've given you a vision. I've empowered you in that vision. I've ordained you. I've given you gifts to support this vision that I have for my church that I established. And if we would stay focused on this vision, which is a single ent entity by way of the gospel, if we stay focused on that vision, is there much room for envy in the church? Why do we get envy over secondary ministries that, you know, this ministry, I don't get enough attention, or this or that? If we're focused on one vision, do we really care about these issues? No, because those ministries only are supposed to support the one vision. So it gets rid of the envy. It gets rid of the selfishness of how we want our church to be. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, first, it's not our church. There's no walking believer. I don't care how much maturity. I don't care if you're a, a pastor standing behind a pulpit. Nobody owns a church in God's creation. It's God's church. He's just ordained us with stewardship over his church to guide it in the vision that he gave us. Not, here's your church, create you a vision and do with it as you will. No, he says, I will give you my assembled, my general assembly of believers together in, in Greenville, Texas, right here on the corner, northern corner of Hunt County. I'm going to give this called assembly of believers stewardship over one of my I don't know what you'd call it, facilities, congregations would be, I guess, would be the best word. But whether you're where we're sitting today or any other church in America, by God's word, there's not one of those locations that are, should have a different vision than the other. But Lord, do we not have different visions? We have different vision within the churches themselves on what we want to do. That's why I so love our ministry leaders. They're good men, wise, got wisdom in the Lord. They just say, hey, we're with you, Todd and Brother Brad. We believe that's the vision God gave the church, and we'll be stewardships to the best of our ability. But as long as we're doing this, we're with you, behind you, and that's what we're going to do. And it simplifies everything. It simplifies it when we stay focused on God's vision. So let's look in scriptures here. First, we need to go to Matthew 16, 16, and look through 18. And God gives us his titles for his church. So uh, we have Mark 16, 16, or Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew, I believe. Here we go. And Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, this he goes on to say in verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, of course, this is after Christ asked Peter, 
who do men say that I am? Some say, you know, think you're Elijah. Some think you're Jeremiah. Some think you're John the Baptist. He says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And of course, he acknowledges that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon of Jonah. He says, For flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but the Father which is in heaven. Now, here it is. And I say unto thee then, based on your statement of faith, on Peter saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that statement, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build, what's that next word? My church. Not I, oh, you got it, Peter, so I'm going to build you a church, Peter. You're such a good guy, and you've done great through discipleship. You graduated. I got your, you know, your diploma here for you, and so I'm going to give you a church. No, God didn't give any of us a church. Remember, he adopted us into his church, into his family. We're going to see here is one of the description God gives us. We are part of his church, not our church. I will build my church, and upon that, the gates of hell will not prevail. So looking here, let's go through this. There's five descriptions we have here God has for the church. One, he calls it a brotherhood. Look at 1 Peter 2.17. I don't know if I give that to you, Mark. I bet you can find it for us. A brotherhood means what? What would you say? It means a family, a unity of spirit. Peter says here, honor what? All men. Does that mean all men that are like you? All women that are like you? No, all men, all of God's creation, all of God's children, the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the king. So this, this brotherhood means it's a family. It's a unit. It's where tolerance for the family prevails. If you have siblings, how much tolerance were you forced to have at times? And that's a hard task. You know my sisters. You know how hard that is? I mean, my goodness. I mean, sometimes it's like, this can't be part of God's will. Okay? So... You know, just on our, just in our own little families, how many times your mom and dad sit you down and say, hey, look, you're going to get along. This is your brother. This is your sister. You know, and then, you know, mom looks away or dad looks away. Then you elbow them real fast or thump them in the ear, you know. So, no, we're called to that same thing. This is we're called together to be a cohesive family, a mom and dad and children. And, and we got to coexist. We got to live together. And we got to be there for one another and love one another unconditionally. But for some reason, even in churches, one, sadly, in our culture today, how much fractured is even the family structure? You got families that can't even get along underneath their own house. And then you bring nothing against those families. You bring those families then into a bigger family. And they're not getting together in their own home with their own flesh and blood. And now they walk into a spirit family, and we lose that tolerance. And then it's like, well, I don't like you, or you don't like me, so I don't talk to you, and I stay away from you. And then little people's little character flaws start 
you know, picking at us and aggravating us and gossip starts. And why do they do that? Did you see they did that? Did you hear what they said? Did you see what they did? It's like, no, it's a brotherhood. It should be a love that's tolerable. It's practice. Peter speaks this to believers living in Rome at a time that they're under, uh, was it Nero, I guess, at the time? Yeah, so Nero, I think, yeah, Nero's in charge of Rome. The worst, most sadistic, evil emperor Rome ever had. And Peter's telling them amongst this leadership, hey, you got to get along. You're a brotherhood. Amidst the extreme persecution they were going through. There would be a lot less envy, pride, and selfishness within the local church amongst Christians if we could just master brotherhood all by itself. If we could just get that part down. Love all men unconditionally. That's all we have to do. Love is Christ's love. How many times do you think we get underneath? We don't, but figure of speech. How many times do you think we annoy God? Do you think ever sometimes God just like, I know sometimes to me, he's probably about to, oh, and I was that close, Todd. I mean, just, I am done with you. But God goes, nope. You're part of my family. I love you unconditionally. Don't care how much of a knucklehead you are, how much you stumble all the time, how jealous and envy and misfocused from my vision you can be. Nope, you're in my family. And I love you unconditionally. We got to do it too. Number two, he describes his church as a body. We see it in Psalms 133.1. A body means that it has different parts, does it not? Of course it does. And it's where unity amongst diversity exists. Psalms 133.1. I'm sorry, Mark. Behold, now good, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, believers, that dwell what uh, God says. <laughs> you can see why God said that. Oh, how good it is when y'all get along. Because when y'all get along, I can get something done with y'all. You're not getting along, and I'm having to, you know, you know, bring my wrath down on you and punish you, and now I got to deal with you pouting because I'm holding you accountable, and you know, I got to get you back on track to even get you back in my vision. God's saying, "Oh, how good it is when my children get along." If you have children. I promise, I say I promise, I don't mean to be too assumptive. I would think all of us that have children, at some point in time, you have been challenged as a parent to have children not getting along with each other. And we know how frustrating that is as a parent, how hurtful it is as a parent. And you're like, hey, we're family, especially when you get adults. Then all of a sudden, you can't even get together for Easter or Thanksgiving or Christmas. You know, well, as soon as they apologize, I'll be over there, Dad. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Why don't you just apologize and get it over with? Me? I didn't do anything. I'm not apologizing to nobody. You know? And we bring this junk into the church. Well, you know, what we're owed, what somebody did to us, how I'm offended, how I'm hurt. It's a body. It has different parts. Every part's not going to function the same way. 
Some parts aren't even made to function the same way. But yet it's all part of the body, and the body does not work properly without every part doing its part. The third description we have is a, it's a building. Simply a building means there must be a structure. There must be order to the process. It's where holiness is the standard for the building. I know we, me more than anybody, loves to joke around. And, and, and just, hey, just let it be water off a duck's back. Come on, we, we don't need to get focused on that. I, I know your point. I know where you're coming from. But uh, let's be honest. This really isn't a big thing. It's a big thing because you don't like it. It's a big thing because it offended you. It's a big thing, and what that really gets down to, it really kind of gets back to who? To the you part. Doesn't mean it's not a real emotion. Doesn't mean your feelings didn't get hurt. Doesn't mean you did not get treated right. But newsflash, that one that offended you and didn't treat you right and hurt your feelings and think took you for granted, what, you, you do realize what do you, I'll put it this way. What are you going to do when you get to heaven all excited and you come out of your first mansion in the morning stretching? Ah, eternity. What are they doing here beside me? And that one that offended you and got underneath your feathers is your neighbor in eternity? You think you're not going to be able to get along? How long do you think God's going to allow you to shut your door and pull down the shades and not talk to your neighbor in heaven? You know what I'm saying. I'm being facetious. It doesn't matter. We got to dwell where it points. So where I was going with that, I started chasing rabbits. Why we joke around, why we keep it lighthearted, keep, I mean, keep a light spirit. Brother Brad, neither one of us are, are, are heavy heart. I mean, we're just, hey, it's so simple. We only have one vision. How simple is that? But people say, oh, Christianity's so hard, Todd. I disagree. When you have one vision, that's pretty easy to keep up with one thing, is it not? It's not like the church has to multitask. Oh, there's so many things we got. No, we just kind of have to take, a, take care of one thing, the gospel. All the other stuff will kind of just fall in place. We may have to sweep some things up and pick them up, put them in the shelf. But we stay focused on one thing. It's a whole lot easier. So we may be lighthearted and easygoing, but one thing I love about our spirit that the Lord's given us, we do have holiness. When it gets to the Word of God, I do believe our spirit here becomes very holy. Because I think you know through Brother Brad and I, when it comes to the Word of God, that's when it gets real serious. And the seriousness is applied to the holiness. This is what Isaiah talked about when he envisioned the building, so to speak, the throne of God. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. I mean, that's, that's what we want the church to be. It, it's still today, we had some visitors last, well, some visitors that have been coming. I reached out to them and thanked them for, you know, coming. And we hope we're being a blessing, you know. And, and they wrote back such a, shared it with Brother Brad, just a beautiful response. And they said, oh, man, we just feel so at home. We so love it there. He said, I've been out of church and we've been looking. He said, I think he said, it's been years since I found a church that had a spirit like y'all's. He goes, I love the spirit of covenant. It's like, oh. 
I mean, it does. It melts your heart. First thing I did was send it to Brother Brad. I said, there's our encouragement. I don't, we don't want pity parties. We don't ask you. We need your prayers. But, man, it's hard being a pastor. Because you, what you do, you do is you hear so much about all these secondary issues, and nobody focuses on the one issue. And you, you have to deal with a lot of minutiae. And it's just trying to get people focused, stay focused on the vision. When somebody sends you a text or tells you, wow, I love that vision, oh, man, that's just like, that's like a shot of adrenaline, spiritual adrenaline. It's like, oh, it's all worthwhile. We're doing the right thing. And you, well, that's kind of arrogant. Well, no, it's not arrogant because somebody just acknowledged that they saw that we're doing the right thing with God's church here. And that's what we want. We want people to come in here, and it goes on and on and on. Visitors, wow, y'all's spirit is different there. Wow, we can tell the Holy Spirit's there. Why? That comes through holiness. Have fun, but we take the Word of God serious in His building. Number four, he describes his church as a bride. A bride means somebody that is what? Loved. It's where the love of the bridegroom for the bride is, is emphasized. Look at John 3, 29. Love this verse. And he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, Christ, we're the bride, Christ is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth, sees what's going on, does, does what? Ah, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Meaning, is the bride, is somebody that's loved by the bridegroom being Christ? And the point is, it's not, per se, our job as the bride to love the bridegroom. It's not our love for him. It's his love for us. We're the one that's honored. We're the one that the bridegroom, in a sense, through the gospel, when we got to hear it, said, Will you marry me? Will you be a part of me? He loves us so much. Was well, it? He uh, always use it in my when I do weddings. Uh, Ephesians chapter five. You know that chapter that Jay loves about the wife being submissive to the husband. I think Frank has that above their. their no, he doesn't. <laughs> no, but everybody knows that verse. You're know, quick to go to it. You know. I see it right there. You're supposed to be submissive. A woman is submissive to the husband, which is true. It's scriptural. But the part I always add in my wedding ceremonies is, is it goes on in verse 20, I think it's around verse 24 through 26. It says, but, but, husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. If you read in context, if you study that passage, the woman really has this, the, the, the scriptural authority to love her husband conditionally. As long as he's, she is to be submissive, as long as he's loving her the way Christ loved the church. If he's not loving her the way Christ loved the church, she's not obligated to be submissive to him. So the onus is really on the man. So be careful, man, go around quoting to your wife, you know, or your fiancé. Now, remember right here, you got to be submissive to me. Now, we have the greater responsibility. And so this is the way God loves us, unconditionally. 
Remember uh, uh, Gomer? You know? Kept on going out, prostitute. Kept on having to go back and purchase her back, purchase her back, purchase her back. That's a heavy story. You'd be in that position. But that's how many times does Christ bring us back in? We run off and commit spiritual adultery. God goes back and loves us back in. That's what we're called to be. We're the bride. We're loved unconditionally. Thus, we should love as a congregation because he first loved us. In number five, he describes it as a bright light. You know, it means illumination. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. And you are a light to the world. That ye are you and me. A light to the world. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel or a candlestick and give it light in all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That brings us all the way back around to the vision. The vision of God for His church. On Peter's statement, upon this statement of faith, I will build my church in the purpose of my church, my vision is the a, is a redeeming gospel that I delivered and brought forth, and your job is to be a light to that gospel to the world. That's it. Okay, well, we got that, Jesus. Then what do we do? No, you do that till I come back. Well, I may, we're going on thousands, of, over 2,000 years. How, how much longer, do, I mean, how much more? Not anymore. I just, I just, I just want you doing that. I want you doing that as a brotherhood, as a body, as a building, as a bride. I want you to embody that vision in a way that it brings man to their saving grace and it allows them to see my glory through my church. And this is what the author of Hebrews is pointing out when he says, I will, you know, I'll, I'll preach to the brethren. Through the church. Well, that's God's church. That's God's way. It's God's purpose. It's God's focus. This adage at the end, I don't know if Mark, yeah, there it is. The church shouldn't be something you go to. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, I go to church? How many times have you? I do it too. Where do you go to church? And I know that's just a relative statement. You're, you're, you know, you're just inquisitive for whatever reason, and I'm not saying that's wrong to say, but we can't let that be our mindset. As a Christian, our focus can't be just where we go to church. Our focus needs to be, do I belong to that church? Am I being a part of that church? Am I contributing to the brotherhood? When I'm calling, when I'm texting, when I'm out and run into a brother, a brother or sister in Christ, when I assemble with brothers and sisters in Christ, am I bringing a spirit of brotherhood in with me? Or am I bringing my envy, my jealousy, my strife, my jealousy, my selfishness? This is what we got to watch out for. So it's not about just going to church. It's definitely not being a part of a Baptist church, a Catholic church, a whatever church. Because there ain't no such thing. Sorry for the English there. 
but there ain't there ain't no such thing as a denominational church well that don't make sense Todd they're everywhere no man put them there God didn't put them there we cannot find in Scripture where God came up with the denomination or where God came up with the religion we know how much Christ spoke against religion and the word religion, I think, is only in the Scripture, what, seven or eight times? Small number. And I think all of them except for one, that's a negative connotation in the context of the way it's used. So God spoke against religion. And, he, you know, in a sense, he spoke against denominations and Judaism. So there's, all that's man-made stuff. Why? Because man wanted to take God's church and create their church. And as soon as it became their church, it's not really ironic how all of a sudden their vision didn't line up with God's vision. Now all of a sudden it's about ministries. And it's about building buildings, not scriptural buildings. It's about buildings and how big they can get and what we're doing and how much we're growing. And No, the church is very simple. Christ made it very simple. It's his children that complicate it because we miss the definition that God's given to his church. Amen? Questions, comments? Nobody? He's called us all to. We've all been called out. Ecclesia, we've been called out, but we've been called out to his vision, his purpose. You know, and, you know, beyond the church, he gives each and every one a spiritual gift. We're called accountable to that gift. We have stewardship over that gift. But that gift is still supposed to be used for a single purpose. To be a light to the gospel. Every spiritual gift is to support the gospel. That's what it's there for. Or discipleship. You can throw discipleship in there, but second part of the gospel, in a sense. You get saved and discipleship is we're called to. That's all God wants us to do. Preach the gospel and disciple the brethren. It's a very simple formula, and people make it so hard. I don't know if I'm following. Yeah, I don't know if I'm following you there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's in callings or repentance. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I see what you're saying, I think. Kind of go online trying to find a spiritual gift other than the one you have. And, you know, pick your own spiritual gift. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, just because you're eloquent at speaking doesn't mean, you know, you're equipped to, you know, to be a pastor. I see what you're saying. So, like I said, I, you know, God's given us a beautiful spirit, and we do. We, we, we have a good vision. And there's no perfect church. Why? Because there's no perfect people to make a perfect church. So that's why we have to focus on this brotherhood. Why we have to focus on this, you know, kindred spirit that God's called us to. But we, we do, it sounds arrogant, we do a good job here. We see folks get saved. We see folks get baptized. We see folks get you know, transformed and, you know, go through their discipleship. But we can always do better. We can always do better. But what, uh, you know, what this points out to us that if God's given us that, then to whom much is given, much is required. And so we don't want to lose focus of that. And that means every one of us, yours truly, need to always stay focused no matter what's going on, no matter what our circumstances is, are that we're facing. Line it back up with the gospel and we'll be well served you'll be you and i'll be well served individually and then his congregation will be well served as a whole 